Well, welcome again this morning. Glad that you're here. And uh, we've been studying the overarching, the overarching plot line of the Bible. We've been looking at it from the very beginning and getting the big bird's eye view of how all of it fits together and what God is up to. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to read that again this morning. And really before that, even in the beginning, God. And then God created. And when he created, what we'll see today is he created it very good. And with perfect harmony and perfect peace. And uh, you'll notice even on, uh, on your handout today, th- there's a little map there that'll be there going forward on the top with just some pictures of the big, the big blocks, the creation and the fall where we mess it up. The rescue where he sends Jesus and then the restoration where he's going to return it back to the way it was when everything was perfect in harmony. And then kind of the sub points underneath. And we're under that third one in just the beginning in creation today where in the beginning God and then God created and he made it very, very good in perfect harmony. In fact, let me pray. And then we're going to open up right to the beginning. We're going to open up right to Genesis chapter one this morning. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you for your grace to me and to our church through him. Lord, I don't deserve it. I deserve uh, your wrath because of my sin. I, I'm, I'm part of the problem in that I've sinned and I've messed things up. And uh, I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your peace. Yet you offer it to me. And you're in the business of, of restoring what you began and Nothing will stand in the way of that. And I thank you that the way you've done that is through Jesus and that you offer us peace and shalom through him. Father, uh, I thank you. You forgive me. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me and speak uh, to me and through me today, even as I convey your truth and your words. And I pray against the enemy who is, uh, uh, who, who, and his servants, their works and effects, who loves to take your word and twist it. And he will see it clearly next week how he did. He, he took what was in perfect harmony and he took your words and twisted them and, and deceived us, yet we still willfully sin. So I pray against him that you'd guard us from his deception and his accusation. And I pray for us that you give us courage to live out who we are. Teach us about yourself today, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have your Bible open? I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. And we're going to start right at the very beginning. And here's how it begins. In the beginning... God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Moses gives us a description of what that would have been like. He said, the earth was formless and void, or formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, when it says the earth is formless and empty, or your translation may say formless and void, in other words, God created everything. Uh, theologically, the term is ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing there. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Can you get your mind around that for a second? Nothing. You're like, well, where was God? He was there. What, around what? Nothing himself. How do, you, how do you conceive of that? We can't because we've always been something. We're, we're entered into this world of creation and of, of time and of place. 
But God created, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters after he created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And imagine that, we talked about it a little bit last week, when, when God says, let there be light, the psalmist tells us that he, and it says it even right here, but he spoke creation into existence. And can you imagine the rush of the light? How that would have come out at that point? And how everything, all of a sudden, from darkness, just... Kind of like when somebody shines a flashlight in your face in the middle of the night. You're like, what are you, what are you doing? That's exactly what it would have been like. I mean, just unbelievable. There was light. And God saw that the light was good. Now, you're going to see that phrase a lot. When God creates, he finishes creating something, and then he says, and he saw that it was good. In fact, he says it seven times each day. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. I love that Moses writes. And, and then it was. God said it. And then, then it was. Then it happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. Right as God spoke it. And think of his creativity. I, I look at my yard, right? I was putting down fertilizer this week in my yard to try to get some of the weeds to go away. And I see grass, but all the grass looks different. There's different types of grass growing there. I know there is. And, and even all the weeds. I, there's there's got to be about 50 different types of weeds growing in my yard. And God just thought them up and said, poof, there. Weeds, grass, plants, vegetables, everything. His creative mind is unbelievable and unfathomable. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. God made two great lights, the greater one to govern the day, the smaller one to govern the night. In other words, the sun and the moon. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth. Something's going to happen there. It tells you, right? He, he set all this to light the earth. The the pinnacle of his creation evidently is going to happen on the earth. That's where his focus seems to be. To govern the day and night, to separate the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. 
Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life and let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created the sea creatures, every living thing that scurries and swarms in the waters and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. By the way, just as a little aside, you notice what kind of offspring they produce? Of the same kind, they don't evolve into some other kind. Verse 22, then God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal. Each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals and That's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea. They'll reign over the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You realize, don't you, that you're the only thing in all of God's creation that's bearing his image. Man and woman, child, elder, everyone. Every human being, every human life has dignity and worth because we bear God's image. And you're the pinnacle of his creation. You're the only thing like him in some way. Then God blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made. And the ESV says right here, and behold, he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Do you notice that? Up till this point, he always says, and it was good, and it was good, and God saw that it was good. But he finishes, and he looks at everything. He looks at the whole picture now that the jewel's in place. And what's he say? Very good. Very good. So what did God do on the seventh day? Well, there was a little boy who asked his dad that. And his dad started teaching him about creation and all his little children. And he was quizzing them all one day. What did God create in the first day, the seventh, you know, the fifth day, the sixth day? And they're like, oh, mankind. And what did God do the seventh day? And the youngest one said, dad, on the seventh day, God got arrested. <laughs> here's, what, here's what the Bible says. It says, so the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. He ceased from his work, some translations would say. And God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy because it was the day when he ceased from all his work, rested from all his work of creation. 
This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. And on that last day, on that seventh day, God rests. He ceases from his work. It's not that he just quits working. He's still working and caring and governing and holding all creation together. But it's kind of, in a sense, the young boy had it right. He was arrested. He was arrested with the goodness and the greatness of what he had just made. You ever create anything? You ever make something or paint a wall and you step back and you just go, that looks pretty good. I didn't do too bad on that. And you just stand and stare at it for a while. Maybe I'm, I do that. And I think my wife thinks I'm weird because I'll just stand and stare at stuff sometimes and I don't even realize I'm doing it. But part of that, when you do that, when you feel good, when you feel accomplishment and you feel satisfaction from a job well done, you're imaging God and you're being like God because that's what he did. He created it all. And then he stepped back, put his feet up and said, now that's very good. Look what I did. And he spends a day resting and enjoying what he had created. Well, when God created everything, all of creation we talked about last week was was made for a specific purpose to glorify God. But when he creates it, it's all good. It's all perfect. And you might say there's perfect peace or shalom in it. There's shalom and peace. And and actually, I kind of skipped ahead here. He created for one specific purpose to glorify God. And in the beginning, everything, think about this, everything God created worked together perfectly. See, sometimes I feel satisfaction after creating something and I step back and I go, finally, the stupid thing works. Yet when, when God created, he gets done and everything works perfectly. Every relationship is perfect. There's, God saw everything he made and behold, Genesis 131, it was very good. And it was a place of perfect peace or shalom is the word in Hebrew. That word shalom, if you ever travel to Israel, you get off the plane, you walk through the airport, that's what you'll see. You'll see this big word that says shalom. And oftentimes it's translated in our Bible as peace because that's usually what it's conveying. But the problem is it isn't an English word. So there isn't a one-to-one translation that really conveys everything that it means. And and shalom can also mean, uh, it means peace, but it means more than that. It means completeness. It's a lot more than just the lack of conflict when we think of peace. It means soundness. It means welfare. In First Chronicles, in, in a blessing, it's translated as success. And shalom, it's applicable to between two people, right? And peace between two people is shalom between them. But there's a whole lot more involved with it. This idea of shalom is it, it was complete. It was good. It was great. It was perfect. And in, in Isaiah, it called, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace by Isaiah. He's called the Prince of Peace, the one who will reign and rule and bring completeness to all of creation. And, and in the beginning, it's incredible that there was perfect peace or shalom. Everything was complete. Everything was whole. Everything was successful. There was no lack in any way of anything. And Adam and Eve, when they're created in in perfect shalom, 
They're, they're created and exist in perfect harmony. And specifically in three realms, they have perfect harmony. Number one is with God. They have perfect harmony with their creator. Now, up until this point, in, in this part of the creation story, we, we read about God having, he, he speaks to Adam, he speaks to Eve, he speaks to his creation. They have perfect relationship and perfect harmony with God. Do you ever, do you ever pray or do you ever read God's word or you go through a situation in life and you go, I, I just wish I could hear a word from the Lord. I just wish, I, I wish I wouldn't mess up. I wish I, I didn't feel shame before him because of my sin. I wish it was perfect. Adam and Eve had that total, perfect, complete relationship with God. And you know what that means? In relationship with their creator, they never felt inadequate. They never felt like, uh, I don't have enough to measure up. They, they never felt like, I don't know if anybody likes me. They never cared because they had perfect relationship with God and he liked them. Perfect relationship with their creator. That's an incredible thought. An incredible thought to consider. And they talked with God. I mean, you know the hymn, right? And he walks with me, he talks with me. Tells me that I'm his own. They would have known that perfectly walking in the garden. And not only did they have peace with God, but they had peace with all of creation. Adam and Eve were given a task by God. He he told them, he said, that you should reign over, you should fill the earth and multiply and Subdue the earth and reign over all the creatures of the earth. Do you realize there was work to do in the garden? You're like, I can't wait to get out of my job and go to heaven and lounge around and eat Doritos. That's going to be awesome. But no, there's going to be work to do. Except it'll be good work. It'll be good work. God gave them work to do to, to subdue and to rule and reign over all of creation. He says it right there in verse 28, fill the earth, govern it. Govern it is a good way to think about ruling and reigning over creation. The physical world and the animal kingdom were at peace with mankind. You didn't have to worry about a dog chasing you down and nipping at your heel. You didn't. You didn't have to worry about a lion either for that matter. Or a tiger or a bear, oh my. None of it. It was perfect peace with creation. And, and not only just with the animal kingdom, but with the ground, farmers. You ever get a little frustrated when the seed doesn't germinate and it doesn't pop up? Or you get too much rain or not enough rain or too many weeds or fill in the blank? Or worse, those pesky animals come in and eat it or destroy it. There was none of that. Every seed he planted grew to full maturity. And not only that, but everything that came off the plant was like first prize fair winning food. It was all perfect. It was all incredible. Do you long for that? Do you long for that in your heart just for things to be right and things to be good? I think we do because we're created in God's image and God created it that way. Not only the ground, not only animals, but how about the weather? 
you wouldn't have had to pray for good weather today. Because there's always good weather. There's no natural disasters. There's no earthquakes. There's no hurricanes. There's no tornadoes. There's none of that. There was perfect peace and shalom and completeness and wholeness and soundness in all of creation. No sickness. You know people who are sick today? I know of a handful in our church who are pretty sick and maybe even in their last days before they see Jesus. You've been through sickness. You know others who have some kind of disease. There'll be no sickness in heaven because he's going to restore it back to the way it was right here. There was no sickness. Hannah, you'll be able to eat wheat in heaven. It'd be fantastic. She has celiac disease, my wife does, and can't eat anything with wheat or gluten in it without getting really sick. Not in Genesis 1 and 2. Eat it up. Live it up. Love it. Fantastic. They were in harmony with God, with creation, and with each other. This may be the most significant. We all have relationships. We all have friendships. We all have people who we've not been in harmony with, or maybe we're not in harmony with to this very day. In fact, if you have a sibling, you've probably experienced this. If you have a mom or dad, you've probably experienced this, right? I mean, there's times in life where you're just not seeing eye to eye, where you're not in harmony. And and there's times where you do ill towards that person and you hurt them, and other times where they do ill towards you and hurt you. Yet in the beginning, there was perfect harmony. There was never a misunderstanding. Did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Why would they say that? Why would she be like that? There was no misunderstanding. Perfect harmony with each other. There were no fights in marriages. There was no, why didn't you check the calendar? Why didn't you do that? None of it. Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve were were made to be in perfect relationship with no barriers. No shame between one another. Together they enjoyed complete peace. Imagine that. Imagine being in a relationship with, with people and with friends where you didn't feel like you had to hide anything from them or hide who you were. Because in fact, there was nothing to hide. There was no sin. Adam and Eve knew the created order. They were working with God's plan. Imagine knowing exactly who you are and what you were created for. Never any doubts. But that soundness, that wholeness, that completeness, that shalom. This was the way the world was supposed to be. And this is why when we look at the world and we see things that are out of line with this, we go, man, that's wrong. You you could go to about anybody in the world and they could tell you certain things are wrong or right. Why? Because imprinted on their hearts is the image of God and this knowledge and this desire for perfect peace and harmony and shalom. Because that's how God made us. And that's how it was. Yet we don't have to be too smart to figure out that that's not the way it is today. And we'll get to that next week. But for today, I just want you to consider how good it was. The world was how it was supposed to be. It was full of beauty and wonder and peace and love and health and joy free of sadness, pain, and suffering, and death. And listen, all of that will come on the scene next week when we look at the fact that Adam and Eve disobey and they sin. 
And we inherit that sin. And the truth is that we sin as well. And so we bring disruption to God's shalom and to that harmony and to that peace. And we're to blame for the mess. And we need to repent and turn to Jesus because he promises to restore us back to the way this was. That's what he's doing. See, you hear about Eden and you think of it as, as paradise, right? Let me read this quote to you from a, a book called Red Like Blood. It, it was not the sunrise that made it paradise. It was the harmony. Adam sits with God looking at the sunrise and everything in his world in a state of unbroken relationship. All of it. He sits with God without guilt and shame. The presence of God is nothing but sheer pleasure. He doesn't hide. He doesn't grovel for forgiveness. He doesn't mind. His mind doesn't race wondering if he has some unconfessed sin lurking in the shadows. He's a perfect, he is in perfect relationship with God, with, a, with his world. And he's at peace at every level and in every way. The Hebrews called it shalom. Shalom is wholeness of life. It's harmony with God, with people, with creation. It's what you were made for. It's what you're made for. And the truth is, loved ones, that that harmony is still available in a limited way to us today, but it's offered fully in the future. And it begins, it's only available though through Jesus Christ. It begins by turning to him in faith and repenting of our sin. True shalom comes from God only through Jesus. Paul explains it this way in Romans 5. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? See, when we mess it up, when we sin, what we're going to see in a little more detail coming up, though, is that God loves his creation, and when it's taken out of order, and when things are messed up and we sin, then he demands wrath, and and that sin demands justice. And we, we become children of his wrath, and we endure death. But because of Jesus, we'll be saved from God's wrath through him. For if, while we were God's enemies, we're reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? See, if you trusted Jesus Christ, now you're no longer his enemy, but you've had that harmony restored already, but not fully. And in one day it's going to be fully, fully, fully restored in every single way when you're with them again. Even more in God, we're made complete. Shalom is completeness and wholeness. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new, the new has come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Paul assures us of that in Philippians as well, right? In 1 verse 6, that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it. He finishes what he starts. For in him, Colossians 1, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. See, all things, he's going to restore harmony to everything. In the end, this harmony that we talked about in Genesis 1 and 2, it's going to be back. And it's going to be back because of Jesus, who will reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh 
by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We'll close with this, and I think it's applicable, especially today as we're having our ministry fair, to think of harmony and to think of shalom. And the reality is, by imaging God, one of the things that we're called to do as followers of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of Jesus, is we're to love our community and we're to work to restore harmony in our spheres of influence. You're sent by Jesus, and one of the things you're sent to do, yes, is to introduce people to Jesus by sharing the gospel with them, calling them to repentance, but it's also to look out for their good and love them. Why? Because they bear God's image and they matter to God. Even if you don't like them, you need to love them. Even if you don't agree with them, you need to love them. That's what you're called to do, to bring shalom to your community. And this one's huge for us this morning, right? It really is. In Genesis 1, if you look back, God, then God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Reign over it. Be his representative. Govern it. Care for it like God would. Rule it and subdue it doesn't mean that, that I'm in charge. And I'm going to rule and reign and you better obey. Nonsense. Subdue it means to do so bearing God's image just like God would, caring for his creation, caring for people. This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's important for us to note. Do you notice there was a big debate this week on TV? Anybody notice that? There was another one a few weeks ago on TV, and there's something going on, I guess, in the next year in our country where somebody's going to be president, I guess. You hear about this? Am I the only one? Do you know, and hopefully I'll be able to tie this together and see how this comes back to this idea of shalom in our community and through our church. Do you know that election years in America are the worst years for the church? When there's a presidential election in America, it, there's research that proves this over the last 20 to 30 years. Attendance goes down in churches in those years as a whole, evangelical churches. Um, giving goes down in evangelical churches in election years. Um, uh, there are more church splits, more church closures, and uh, more, I can't think of the other one I was thinking of, but, but it's a, they're really bad years for churches. Why do you suppose that is? You know why I think it is? I think it's because a lot of times, We forget the fact that we're part of God's story and he has a different kingdom waiting for us. And it's not this one. And we get confused by getting excited about the kingdom that we're a part of on this earth and that we're sent to do good towards and to care for. But we let that become the primary focus of the mission. And we get off track and we start instead of going towards harmony and going towards peace, in the end we go towards we got to get them elected. we got to get them in office. we got to do this. we got to accomplish this. we got to repel that law. And guess what? We're way off track. And no one's drawn to this. In fact, you alienate half the world doing this. Because half the people disagree with you. Whatever your persuasion is. At least half the country does. Maybe more of the world. I don't know. But I would challenge you. This is an important thing for us because we need to remember that we're part of God's story. 
And we're called to bring harmony and peace and restoration to our community and to our world and to our country, by the way. Hear me, I'm not, in saying all these things, I'm not saying politics don't matter. I'm not saying none of that's important. I'm not saying you shouldn't vote. You should vote. I think it's foolish not to. You should be involved in these things, right? However, that's not the main thing. And we're right at the beginning of it. Let's not be the church that gets off mission, but let's buck the trend and be the church that grows in the midst of times when so many churches kind of die away or at least lose their momentum because they get off track. Keep your eyes on Jesus because the president will only be there for four, maybe eight years. But guess what? Jesus will reign as king forever. To quote squints in the sandlot, forever. And he's the king. And he's the one we serve. And our thing as a church is to bring harmony and peace and justice and goodness to our world through Jesus Christ. And we do that by making disciples. Your thing might be being involved in politics and being involved in a campaign and doing all, and, and you know what? Fantastic. I'm, I, you need to be, and we need people who are. Your thing might be serving in the school and reaching our school. Fantastic. Your thing might be serving with one of the other ministries in our community. Fantastic. Your thing might be serving in our student ministry, our kids ministry. Great. We need people in all those places. And Jesus has sent you to accomplish those things. But our thing as a church isn't going to get derailed. Just so you know, you need to know this right now. We're not going to get derailed by the election. Amen. We're going to keep our eyes on Jesus and so you're not going to hear me stand up here and tell you who to vote for or tell you, you know, pass out voter guides and all this. We're not doing that because our focus is on Jesus Christ and bringing harmony and peace and justice and disciples into this world. Okay? You're like, Josh, you got fired up. I know because I care about our church. I care about you. And I want there to be unity and peace and harmony in our church so that we don't lose influence in the community, but we gain it. In fact, Jesus, when he recruits his disciples, you realize he has one person who's um, a zealot who wants to, who practices guerrilla warfare to, to take out the enemy and sniper fire on the Romans. He's got another guy in Matthew who's a tax collector who collects taxes and gives it to those guys that the other guy is shooting at. And yet, guess what? For both of them, Jesus was bigger than anything. And that's who we are. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's our peace. He's our shalom. And that's where we're headed. Be involved. Get involved. Don't sit and stick your head in the sand. Don't be foolish. But know as a church, we don't want to alienate people. We welcome everyone into the kingdom and we love everyone. That's why their sign says you are loved. And as Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. See, sometimes it's hard in, in a political season too. If we get too wrapped up in politics corporately as a church, as we can attack our enemies. Except the problem is, they're not the enemy. <laughs> the people who disagree or who lead the charge of things that aren't biblical, they're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. And you rescue victims. You don't attack them. And it's really hard to love someone that you're attacking. Beat them over the head. Oh, by the way, Jesus loves you and I love you. Really? Thanks. <laughs> I felt it. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Peaceably with all. Strive for peace, Hebrews says, with everyone, for, with the, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus says, 
the greatest command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Our mission is to make disciples, and that begins by loving people. And we're to bring this shalom to our community. I'll end with this thought. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah was one of the guys who was taken into exile in Babylon after God's people disobeyed. And he's taken into exile, and, and he, he's put into a kingdom that worships other gods and that's been harsh towards the Jewish people. But guess what God tells Jeremiah tells his people through Jeremiah to do while they're in exile under the hand of the oppressors. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He doesn't say, freak out, get angry, rebel. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give to your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We need to seek to bring peace and harmony and shalom to our community. And we do that by loving people. Loving them in Jesus' name. Repenting of our sin and demonstrating it in powerful and tangible ways. So as we close this morning, we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate the grace we have in Jesus. And then go down and check out a way that you can be part of that. Find what your thing is and go do it with all your heart as unto the Lord. Find what it is and serve. And bring peace and shalom and harmony. And uh, then at noon, we'll have a big meal outside, tons of games and fun for the kids and for the big kids and the adult, everybody. Snow cones, I think, at like 1.30, 1.45. Be fantastic. Stick around and enjoy it, okay? And uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll sing together, and we'll carry on with the day. Father, thanks for Jesus, and thanks for your grace to us through him. Thanks that you love us and thanks that you're good to us. And Father, I thank you that you're in control. Um, Lord, I pray that if uh, the the words I I spoke, even thinking about politics or some of those things are wrong or or with the wrong spirit, I pray you'd forgive me. But at the same time, I pray that our church wouldn't be sidetracked by those things. I pray that we would be involved as individuals and that we would... Uh, be uh, informed and know what's going on and, and pursue it with passion. But help us corporately not to be distracted by that so we don't alienate people who might disagree with us on those things. But instead, we would love people. Because, Jesus, that's what you did. You hung out with the, the people that were politically and socially outcasts. And those are the people you loved and you cared for and you invited to follow you. And that's who you send us to. Help us love our community. Help us seek the welfare of our community like you told the people in Jeremiah who are in exile. Help us to uh, seek its good because in its good is our good. So, Father, we love you. Thanks for a great morning. I pray for those two who have never trusted you, Jesus, that today might be the day of salvation for them, that they'd repent and seek you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, my Savior. Amen.